0: points uh we're back for a second episode i am your host blake Lovell. with me is my co-host dylan reagan and yes dylan we are back for a second episode uh neither one of us held out for more money um while we were pushed to try to get new equipment we decided to keep our old microphones uh so maybe we're doing a little bit better than than certain nfl players are right now
1: just playing out our contracts you know want to make sure we sign do what we signed up for and we'll go from there (laughs)
0: Yeah, we are, we are back for second episode and uh, excited to be back. A lot of great feedback on, on our first episode last week. And, you know, if you're just catching on to the podcast for the first time – uh, we have a lot of fun with this, and it's going to be a really great resource for you as we go throughout the NFL season. And uh, looking ahead to what we're going to discuss today, uh, of course, our headline segment where we touch on all the the greatest stuff happening in the NFL right now. Uh, plus, we'll dive into our one big question for every single team in the NFC. We did the AFC last week. So if you're a fan of an AFC team, go back to our podcast Uh, from last week. We did a question on every single team, uh, the biggest thing that they have to answer, and we'll cover all the NFC teams here today. And then, of course, our fantasy corner, Uh, lots of great information. You'll hear me a lot sprinkle in uh, some fantasy tidbits as we go along. And let me tell you, this is the numbers episode of the podcast because Dylan has got a lot of great numbers, a lot of great information. Uh, But uh, let's go ahead and dive in. Before we do that, be sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Uh, Go on SoundCloud, Spotify, soon to be on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it now. Uh, You can subscribe to the podcast on there. That way uh, you have all the stuff you need uh from us as we get prepared for the start of the 2019 nfl season but let's go ahead and jump into the headlines which we joked about a second ago uh you have to start dylan with uh, our friend antonio brown who uh it's funny you know we, we were talking last week We mentioned frostbite. We never thought we'd be talking about that. Well, fast forward a week, and now we're talking about helmet drama. And I don't think we expected to be talking about that either. Um, Everyone at this point probably knows how the whole thing unfolded, where he told the Raiders, uh, you know, he wanted to be able to wear his old helmet. He threatened to never play football again. He was going to retire. Uh, NFL.com's Mike Silver had a source call the situation uh, the most insane thing ever, which I think a lot of uh, people can agree with. Uh, we saw on Hard Knocks, actually, John Gruden uh, kind of stuck up for his new wide receiver. Talked about just uh, the accidental nature of, of the frostbite, the foot injury. And, uh, you know, as you would expect, I think Dylan, John Gruden stuck up for him. Uh, and then A.B. loses his grievance against the NFL to wear his old helmet. Uh, now apparently he's coming back. I have no idea what to expect. Uh I think this time we're talking we we'll talking this time next week. Um who knows? Just make up something and we're probably going to be talking about Antonio Brown with it next week.
1: Yeah, he's already two for two in our uh headline section. It's going to be just a weekly thing. We'll, we'll make an, <laughs> an our own segment for AB. And no, though I mean when the when all this stuff came out about him possibly retiring, I mean, you know, it didn't seem like that was actually going to be something that would happen. It you figured they'd figure out something. He's going to really put $30 million or however much money it is guaranteed just on the table and say, no, I'm good because of a helmet issue. Uh, luckily, it does look like there's kind of that solution um, with him obviously coming back now and being at practice, even if he wasn't actually on the field earlier this week. And there's a little bit of a loophole in the rule. He can still f- use the same shut air advantage helmet. He just has to find one that is uh, less than 10 years old, which he put out a tweet uh earlier this week saying basically that if someone has that helmet and is able to exchange it and it fits for him he'll give them a signed helmet uh Raider helmet hopefully he does more than that because I, I don't know where this is I mean you'd hope that some high school kid or some college just has these helmets <laughs> <laughs> sitting around and is like wait a second we have one of these um but it looks like it's going to be resolved and the Raiders have done I think it, I mean other than you know all this all these uh this leak of information coming out about the whole situation they've done a good job of publicly at least of supporting AB and making it clear that um, they're on his side and trying to work through a solution. And even though AB lost his grievance against the NFL, the NFL was reportedly also helping kind of try to find a helmet that fits what he wants, that adheres to their rules. Um, So yeah, it was, yeah, like you said, it was funny last week. We talked about frostbite. Then one day later, all hell breaks loose with this. And uh, (laughs) it looks like it's maybe uh, about to uh, slow down, but yeah, based on that Mike Silver kind of, uh, it was like 20 tweets long, you know, AB went kind of back and forth from not reporting to uh, talk, saying, you know, if Brady and Rodgers are going to use their old helmets, why can't I? And then they send him a picture of one of those guys wearing the new helmet, and then he just showed up at practice like it was no big deal. So <laughs> you never know with AB, and it, it works out well for us that it's on hard knocks. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was going to ask exactly what I was about to say. You want to talk about hitting the jackpot? I I think the Hard Knocks directors, we already knew it was going to be a lot of fun because you knew the Gruden was going to be great. He has been great thus far. Um, You knew that the Antonio Brown aspect was going to add a lot to it. But now, just with these storylines, it could not have been any more perfect. And we mentioned that last week. Uh, if you're someone who's a conspiracy theorist and you talk about all these different things that have already happened, uh, there's certainly plenty of interest in the show. And I thought the second episode uh, was really good. And, I, and the third's going to be better because we're, we are going to have kind of the fallout from some of this stuff. And like we said, we don't know what's going to happen uh, for the, over the next week because, uh, as we've seen, it's a very unpredictable situation. Speaking of unpredictable situation, uh, Dak Prescott is still trying to get that new contract with the Cowboys. And uh, his all these reports this week have kind of set the, uh, the Internet on fire, talking about uh, the different, I guess, rumors, we can call them at this point, Based on how everything's unfolded with Dak and the Cowboys, uh, Michael Lombardi, it started with him that put out uh, talking about how Dak reportedly turned down a $30 million per year deal. Uh, that had people saying, well, you know, Dak and $30 million, does he really think he's worth that? And then things got so much better from there uh, when you had the conflicting reports back and forth that Dak uh, requested $40 million per year from the Cowboys. Um, you know, Mike Florio added in his two cents about that. And I'll, I'll let you go into that, Dylan, because this whole thing has been very fascinating to watch. And as we always say, you kind of take these reports, these rumors, you don't really know what's what, especially during a, a contract negotiation with a star player. Uh, this thing's been pretty wild thus far, though, with Dak and the Cowboys.
1: Yeah, one thing when you start working kind of with this stuff, you wonder when these rumors or sources and reports come out, you start to think who, like who, what, who's gaining from this on whatever whatever side. Yeah. So the whole yeah. So it was Jane Slater reported that Prescott was requesting four million or forty million, not four, forty million dollars per year, um, <laughs> and then yeah, Mike Florio. Uh, said that was false from his source. He alleged that the, that number was leaked by the Cowboys to kind of make Prescott look bad or ridiculous kind of in the public sphere, which, it I mean, it did work. It There, was, there were so many memes just like laughing kind of at the idea of him being worth that. Um, and the Cowboys went on to say they're not afraid to go into the final year of his deal uh, without uh, signing Prescott to a long-term extension. So I, it's kind of, I mean, Dak, it, unlike... Uh, Zeke, at least he's there, um, and he's still, you know, going to play out this season regardless. But with these reports, it's it's definitely just part of the process, I guess. It, it, I don't know if it has to be this messy, you don't. But it is Jerry Jones and the Cowboys, so I guess we shouldn't expect anything different.
0: <laughs> no, I don't think so. And look, uh, Dez Des weighed in too, just as everybody has. I think Des put out a tweet uh, right after. Uh, the the 40 million thing and he said to pay him and and not to add him i think on twitter something like that but yeah it's uh again contract negotiations there's always angling there's always uh people playing ball on each side and and that's why you have to take a lot of this with maybe a grain of salt sometimes because we we don't know exactly what's the truth and we we know there we don't have the full story of it uh but it's going to it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out cuz it is a starting quarterback And it's a guy that clearly wants a lot of money. So uh, speaking of guys who uh, are maybe in a situation of of wanting some money and uh, is in a situation where he's not coming back to his team, uh, Trent Williams with the Redskins, uh, which uh, I think that's an area of need, Dylan, as we know, for anybody who's kind of looked at the Redskins, uh, being on the offensive line. and. It's a situation where the Redskins don't want to trade him, and it's a situation where Williams doesn't want to come back. And uh, when you put those two together, it's not a great combination when you uh, are in the preseason getting ready for the regular season.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, especially with Trent Williams' seven-time Pro Bowl or left tackle such a crucial part of what the Redskins do. And um, as we'll talk about once we get to the one big question for every NFC team, it's going to tie into this whole situation because for Williams it's about a – a misdiagnosis in his opinion of a growth um, that that he didn't like how the Redskins medical staff handled the situation has basically said he won't play for the team as long as they're there. Um, So, I mean, you don't really solve that unless you make a change to what you're doing on that side. Um, It's yeah, the, the, and just football wise, the impact is tremendous in the first preseason game, Warren Sharp had a tweet just showing kind of highlights of the Browns, just absolutely flooding the backfield every single play. It felt like on the first uh, drive of the game, they had four offensive holding penalties. Keenan was just running around like uh, like he was on the Rams in 2016 again. He, they <laughs> went three for eight with for only 14 yards. I mean, it was just absolutely horrible. And then you think on a bigger scale when they have a rookie quarterback like Dwayne Haskins, one of the biggest things young guys need in their development is to not be worried about the backside uh, blindside. Uh, pass rush that was such a big thing for the rams with jared goff when they signed andrew whitworth and we've seen it with other guys as well um and yeah that was one of the bigger things that adrian peterson brought up i i think you might get into that uh where he kind of discussed what the absence means for the team itself but also in, in terms of what he has to do with helping chip on blocks but just the the development of haskins is a concern for adrian peterson as well
0: Yeah, he had a pretty strong statement, and here's what he had to say. Quote, since day one of camp, you notice his absence is impacting us tremendously. You go from not having to worry about the blind side at all to having uh, to chip on that side, add a tight end there, which changes what you do. Uh, I think it's making Dwayne Haskins have to think more and and not process things as calmly, end quote. I mean, yeah, that's, that's what you want. You know, you want your rookie quarterback to, to be able to be at ease because there's already going to be some uncomfortable elements of being, you know, an NFL starter for the first time. If uh, you know, he gets to that point this season, we don't really know how things are going to unfold with the, the quarterback situation there. we saw, we mentioned Case Keenum and what he's done. So, There's a lot of different elements to this, but as we kind of said with with some of these other situations, you know, you you don't want a a spot where you have one of your your best players that is pretty much saying he's not coming back to the team, and then you've got a team that that doesn't want to trade him. Uh, So there's another one. It's just another thing to follow as we go throughout the preseason, and certainly, Dylan, uh, something else that a lot of people are going to be following and uh, fantasy alert here, because uh, we, we're going to talk a lot about fantasy. Um, Andrew Luck, and in the injury situation, we touched on it a little bit last week, and everything we talked about was that it was a minor situation. The Colts were not worried, but Dylan, since then... Things have kind of, uh, I guess, amped up a little bit to where maybe they can say it's not concerning, but it seems like there's a bit more concern this week than there was last week.
1: Yeah, the the sentiment last week was that Andrew Luck was still going to be ready for week one. It was just, uh, you know, being cautious, that whole kind of thing, especially with Andrew Luck. And we brought it up on on our headlines last week because while it seemed minor, you you just, you know, with Andrew Luck, given all the injuries he's had, it's still something you got to, Kind of keep in the back of your mind. And then, yeah, this week you have Jim Irsay saying that Luck is dealing with an issue to a small little bone. I'm a little redundant there, Jim. But, uh, of course, the calf is a muscle, not a bone. So is it a separate injury? And that was kind of the whole thing you saw on the Internet with all the articles about that. Uh, Chris Ballard then went on to say that the calf strain has turned into a high ankle issue. And uh, it, it keeps it kind of the ball kept rolling from there. Luck is now likely sitting out the preseason. And his status for week one is in doubt uh, the Colts probably won't decide on that uh, Mike Wells of ESPN reported until after their third preseason game but I mean at this rate uh, making sure Andrew Luck for is healthy for you know later in the season is going to be a lot more vital than the first couple weeks if he has to sit out if this is actually an issue that's uh, as potentially concerning as it seems at this point you really can't take any uh, risks this early so uh, it's just <laughs> it's frustrating because you want you see what Andrew Luck did at the end of last season when he's healthy and how much fun that offense was. And as we, as we mentioned in the one big question for the Colts last week was uh, his health because it seems like everything else on the team is so sound that as long as he stays on the field, they can be a Super Bowl contender. If he's not on the field, that's not going to be the case. So yeah just just more of the same
0: (laughs) yeah adding good wide receivers and you know just just having a really good offense to to work with and I think it's now to a point where we've seen in the past with you're the Colts they you got to give the Colts credit I think they've done a really good job handling his situation in the past and if you're a Colts fan you want to see him out there but look that they're not going to take any chances any risks until they know he's completely ready um, and, and that's why we're all sitting here not really knowing when that's going to be because th- that isn't a, a franchise um, that, that's going to put him out there and get him hurt even worse because they know I mean, he is he is their franchise quarterback he is their guy um, but it is an unfortunate situation and, and we just are in a wait and see mode now to, to see how uh, things unfold there with his injury uh, alright Dylan wrapping up our uh, our headline section here for this week we're going to touch on uh, preseason week one which uh, we're recording this on Thursday week two is about ready to get started but when we look back at week one there were some guys that, that really stood out and Really, you know, some of these young guys, as we thought, were going to make an impression early on. They tried to do that. Some of these guys did that. Uh, Daniel Jones, when you look at what he did with the Giants on a drive there. Uh, Kyler Murray, I think we've seen the potential with him. David Montgomery, who we've talked about last week, uh, that Bears running back situation is going to uh, be, be very interesting to see how that unfolds. A lot of guys uh, really kind of made their stand there in week one and just trying to build on it now as they go throughout the preseason.
1: Yeah, it was pretty great being on Twitter during the uh, Daniel Jones drive where he went 5-for-5, five five, 67 yards, <laughs> perfect passer rating. You had people uh, talking about how he's the next Tom Brady, obviously in a joking <laughs> manner. Um I think freezing cold takes tweeted out a reminder with uh, Christian Hackenberg's first uh, drive as well in the preseason was a touchdown drive where he was nearly perfect. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. It's a little different when the, when the big boys are out there and things actually matter. So, st- but still, if you're a Giants fan, it's something you want to, it's not a negative, right? You're not going to be <laughs> discouraged by Daniel Jones looking like he's in control of the offense, making some of the throws, making smart decisions, processing everything. So, that was great for him. Yeah, Kyler Murray, obviously super exciting with some of the things he was able to do. Uh, the Chiefs, they had a little end around with their uh, rookie, McCole Hardman, looking like just looking like Tyreek Hill almost exactly. If you if you looked uh, from far enough away, it might look like it's the same exact guy with his speed. Uh, there was a graphic on that game where they referred to their, um, their trio of uh, receivers with Tyreek Hardman and Watkins as the Legion of Zoom, so maybe that will catch on. <laughs> um you touched on David Montgomery obviously uh he looks impressive and is gaining a lot of steam fantasy wise uh, a couple of guys that were a little more under the radar that we've uh talked about here just because you know we're so in in depth with what the Patriots do and how big that fan base is was Jacoby Myers their undrafted receiver out of NC State uh was drawing a lot of praise from Belichick and Brady in the week leading up to the game then he had a couple touchdown catches and just looked really comfortable uh running all the routes making uh big plays in the end zone. So could a uh, guy to watch for a team that definitely needs some receiving help. And just want to give a quick shout-out to uh, Michael Hunter. Our uh, our producer, Bob Garcia, has interviewed him for Clutch Points. He uh, got signed by the Chiefs uh, a few weeks or a couple weeks ago uh, trying to make their roster, and he had his first career interception this past week. So just want to give a shout-out to him. He's been following us since we really started, and uh, exciting to see him out there on the field for Kansas City.
0: You know, I don't want to be the one that makes the connection, but when Bob interviews you, <laughs> hey, you clearly are do great things on the field. Let's just keep that in mind. Any player out there uh, who wants to do great things on the field, just just talk to Bob because clearly it works. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, I, I mean. Like we said, you look at some of these guys, this is the time for these rookie players to shine, guys who are getting these opportunities, um, and that's what the preseason is about. And, and things are going to change, certainly, once uh, we flip the calendar to September and you have regular season games, uh, but this is a great opportunity for all these different guys. And and that's probably a good way to lead into uh, our one big question for all the 16 NFC teams this season, uh, we're going to go in reverse order uh, of last year's records, and we just mentioned Kyler Murray. Dylan, that's where we're going to start with the Arizona Cardinals, who were 3-13 last season. The question for the Cardinals is, can Kyler Murray's speed and Cliff's Kingsbury system minimize Arizona's offensive line struggles? Uh, they were a team that really had issues in that area and now you bring in a completely different offense um maybe they hope to fit you know be able to fix some of that and especially now that you do have a quarterback uh who's as mobile as kyler murray maybe that that's able to minimize some of those issues on the line for the for the cardinals
1: yeah you see the the thinking with what kingsbury does and what murray did at oklahoma and it it fits and it will be interesting to see how it works in the nfl of course regardless of how Uh, Great of guys at scrambling and able to improvise. You don't want to have an offensive line that uh, last year for the Cardinals finished last in pass protection. Their running game was last in efficiency. Now that was partially due to they ran 66% of their rushes directly under center David Johnson on those plays only average 1.8 yards. Uh, they're not going to be doing that nearly as much in Kingsbury's system. You'll probably see a lot more 10 personnel like he ran at Texas Tech. Uh, he threw 65 uh, – which 10 personnel will be one running back, no tight ends. Uh, he threw 65% of the time last season. Um, so, yeah, it should be – it'll be interesting to see what they do. I don't know if they're going to keep Fitzgerald in the slot as much or if they're going to lo- bring him back outside and put some of the other younger guys in the uh, down there. Uh, obviously Tr- Christian Kirk will be a probably a big weapon mm-hmm. for Kyler this season, but I mean, he just based on what we saw in the, you know, his limited action, uh, it'll be exciting to see him tonight against the, uh, Raiders. Um, but Kyler looked comfortable. It didn't look overwhelmed by the moment it was like with ease was able to kind of get out of the pocket when kind of crashed down on him. So, uh, yeah, I'll be exciting to see it's, it's going to be, I don't know if Kingsbury is going to go full air raid or what's going to happen, but, uh, regardless it'll be interesting from just a football nerd uh, perspective
0: yeah no doubt I mean they're they're one of the most probably intriguing teams in the NFL just because they do have that type of system and you are adding you know the number one overall pick in the draft and someone who again in the year of the mobile quarterback uh, Kyler Murray is going to be right up there near the top in terms of what he can do with the speed uh, with his legs and uh, hey Christian Kirk we're going to talk about him in the fantasy corner later Uh, he's someone I'm very intrigued by but there, there are. There's a lot of aspects with the Cardinals. Certainly fixing the, the offensive line is going to be a big focus. But with all these new faces in terms of the coaching staff and, and what they're going to be able to do now at quarterback, uh, a lot of excitement there for them. And we'll see if it translates to the field. But uh, that will lead us to uh, another team that's right there with them in that division, hoping to rebound after a 4-12 and season. That is the San Francisco 49ers. The question for the Niners, Dylan, is uh, will San Francisco's improved pass rush keep their weak secondary from being exposed? And, you know, I think that was the big thing everybody brought up last year. Uh, Certainly the injuries were something that was a main theme for that team, but also trying to be able to be a little bit better uh, against the pass.
1: Yeah, we really haven't given Kyle Shanahan a fair shot yet there with all the injuries, like you mentioned. It was tough to kind of see but despite going 4 and 12 they finished top 10 in early down success rate meaning they uh, meaning they uh, avoided third downs uh, in the top 10 of all teams in the NFL of converting first downs on either first or second down on both offense and defense so uh they you know usually teams that are going to do that are going to finished much better than tied for or second to worst in their entire conference. Um, part of that was due to them having a league worst negative 25 turnover differential. I think they only had two interceptions all season, which just by like sheer chance is going to increase. Um, yeah in terms of the pass rush their secondary still remains a problem we'll see if Jason Verrett's able to stay on the field he really when he was healthy and you know 2015 was great but over the past few years has struggled with injuries he's out for the preseason after getting an MRI on his ankle but in terms of their pass rush with D. Ford coming on board and the Nick Bosa if those guys can stay on the field they should be much improved their pass rush was 17th last year which isn't you know right around league average but when you have a secondary that finished with uh 27th in pass defense efficiency you really need to help get pressure on the on the opposing quarterbacks teams were just when you'd watch some of the games later in the year with the Niners it was crazy to see uh, Mullins and those guys at the quarterback still scoring points but their defense for the most part against better offenses had no shot they were just getting completely uh run over uh in the passing game so it'll be yeah I mean I'm I'm optimistic about the 49ers and what they can do on offense still concerned about the defense but I think the big thing will be the health of d4 to Nick Bosa if those guys stay healthy their defense if it can just kind of improve at least to the middle of the pack they'll have a shot at a wild card I I believe
0: yeah there was one of those days uh, I know you know doing the, the editor stuff at clutch points and all the news that was coming in, it seemed like there was one of those days. I remember which one is maybe one day last week where the Niners had like three or four injuries, oh, yeah. like in a span of a couple hours. And you're like, oh no, like not again. Um, hopefully, this isn't going to happen. But uh, yeah, keeping everybody healthy is the big thing with that team and trying to get back on track like you said, improve that defense. Uh, the offensive weapons are there, and we'll talk about one of them as well in the fantasy corner in Dante Pettis, um, but there, there's a lot of, you know, kind of intrigue with that team too. The, the NFC NFC West is not going to be lacking uh, teams like this who are maybe going to be able to, to take a step forward, uh, so we'll see what happens there with them. Next up is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which they are also having some changes this year, 5-11 and 11 last season, uh, but Now they bring in uh, an offensive mind, and that leads to the question, which is, can Bruce Arians revitalize Jameis Winston's career? Dylan, no secret, uh, Jameis Winston has been up and down since he got there in Tampa. Uh, But, you know, you do bring in someone who has this track record of being able uh, to get the best out of his offensive players, you know, out of his quarterbacks. I mean, if you're Jameis Winston, you probably can't ask for a better situation. It's just a matter of seeing how things progress on the field.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of take advantage of this opportunity. Kind of similar to Marcus Mariota when we talked about him last year. Both guys came from the same draft and are in a bit of a prove-it year at the end of their deals. Um, Tampa Bay smartly did not give him an extension, you know, so kind of making seeing what he can do here. And if, I mean, Aaron, this is kind of Arian's team now. If, if he decides Winston's not his QB, he's going to move on, so... He has a shot here. I mean, so last year the, the offense was really good for Tampa Bay in terms of yardage. They, were, they finished third in uh, most of any team in the NFL in terms of yards gained. But they threw a lot of interceptions in the red zone, particularly Winston. I mean, Fitzpatrick also had his fair share to be, uh, to be fair to Jameis. But, uh, it, you know, they have a ton of talent, you know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and O.J. Howard. But all three of those guys – anyone that plays fantasy knows those names quite well (laughs) and should be excited about what Bruce Arians uh, brings here. It's interesting with those guys because it's always been fantasy wise, you know, you believe in them, but do you believe in their quarterbacks and the systems and are they going to consistently week to week be great? I think with what Bruce Arians has proved over the course of his career, going back to even some of the Steeler teams and then Andrew Luck and when he was early in his career with the Colts and you see Carson Palmer had some of his best years of of his career really with Arizona He's, he, he has a way of helping elevate QBs to a different level. So, I mean, if if Winston can really take off and have one of his best career years, uh, another team, I, I don't know if we're going to say this about every single team in the NFC, <laughs> that you feel like, you know, they have a, a shot. Now, one thing is Tampa Bay plays in perhaps the toughest division in the NFL, at least, you know, up there oh. with maybe the AFC North and the NFC North, but from top to bottom. I mean, having to face a improved Panthers team, going to have to face the saints and falcons two times each it's it's not going to be easy schedule wise and that's the one concerning thing there's just so many good teams in the nfc that if that even if the offense takes off their defense has finished last in efficiency in each of the last two years um it should be improvements there but uh that's the one concern but we'll see what if winston can you know prove that he's their guy beyond this year
0: Yeah, the running back situation is going to be important because they've got to have more consistency there from those guys. And the Winston uh, pick-a-wide receiver stack was very popular in DFS last year, that's for sure. Uh, A lot of people load up because they were just chucking it, and it didn't matter because, like you said, they had a bad record. Um, But it it will be. Kind of looking at how he's able to fit into what Bruce Arians wants to do uh, and whether or not he can kind of take the reins there and really – Give them an opportunity, like we said, to be in the mix uh, for a playoff spot at some point, even though they really are in a, a very tough division. And we'll talk about one of those other teams, uh, I think, in that division that's really going to be much improved here in a minute. But before we do that, getting to the New York Giants, who were 5-11 and 11 last season, the talk is uh, all about pretty much two players on this team going into this season, and uh, that's going to lead us to our question, which is, will Daniel Jones get a real chance to show what he's made of? Uh, Dylan... You know, I think for the Giants, they're going to come out and kind of say what they say about wanting Eli Manning to be the starter there the entire season and give them an opportunity to make the playoffs. But I don't know. I think it's it's one of those where there are a lot of Giants fans who looked at it and the way they drafted or probably where they drafted Daniel Jones the expectations immediately got higher for him and you know at one wrong move from eli is that going to be a situation where they immediately plug daniel jones in and and here's the second part of that if they do plug him in is he going to be ready
1: yeah i'm i'm i just want to see that happen i think that like we've seen this kind of eli manning show the last few years they haven't they made the playoffs a few years ago but other than that really not that many winning seasons um and it, it's just the, some of the, more of the same. A lot of inaccurate throws down the field, just not reading things. It's it's getting to the point where it feels like it's a nostalgia kind of thing. John Merritt denied that today, saying, you know, yes, he has some sentimental feelings about Eli, but uh, it's not going to let him impact the football decision. I'm not sure if he's lying to himself, um, but <laughs> I just I really just want to see Daniel Jones in the field. the The concerning part of the whole plan that when they drafted him was the idea, I think Dave Gettleman said something along the lines of, it would be ideal if he didn't play until year three or four. Now, you know, that used to be a kind of a thing that teams did developing quarterbacks behind us, a season starter for a long time, letting them kind of see the offense and kind of learn things before taking the field. It worked really well with Aaron Rodgers clearly in green Bay. Um, (laughs) But now a lot of the smarter teams realize that the efficiency and the I've taken advantage of a rookie QB deal is One of the biggest things you can do in the NFL, the Seahawks, are probably the, the shining example obviously they drafted really well in defense but with what they did with Russell Wilson in the Legion of Boom era was impressive the Cowboys are doing it currently with Dak we'll touch on that it's for a little bit later the Rams Jared Goff the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes Eagles with um, Carson Wentz and now the Browns at Baker Mayfield it's you quarterbacks need to get on the field quickly uh, to kind of take advantage of this window where you can really build around them with a lot more money than you're going to be able to after they get to that second deal so uh, I, I, that's the, the, my concern. I, I do hope that they have a little more sense to actually get him on the field maybe midway through the season at least so that by year two, he's the starter going in. But, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting to see what he did in that first preseason game like we touched on. Uh, but, again, it's going to be a lot different in the regular season with <laughs> an offensive line that kind of struggled. Even with Saquon last year, they didn't really improve their first down run success rate. Um, which is pretty disappointing and as much as Saquon was a fantasy beast his just sheer volume of touches really helped that more so than some of the efficiency numbers show Um, we'll see on their receiving core if they corpse if they have really the weapons with Odell out you have Sterling Shepard injured and then Golden Tate with his suspension so maybe they wait make Eli kind of take some punches for a few (laughs) weeks and then wait it out and then eventually let Daniel Jones have a chance we'll see
0: yeah i don't think saquon's workload's going anywhere so if you're a if you're a fantasy player uh I think he's going to get the touches. That's for sure, and uh, it will all just probably depend on where the Giants are at as the season goes along uh, with this quarterback situation. And and look, you're in the New York market. We're going to be talking about this quarterback situation every single week the entire season. Um, it's not going to go away. And, and even if Daniel Jones is put in there, uh, the scrutiny is going to be high immediately uh, because that's the expectation when you're when you're in New York. When you're when you're the Giants, uh, you want to try to make the playoffs. You know what you're going up against in the fc east uh so i don't know i don't know how that's going to play out but like you said i think we are going to get a situation where we get him in that scenario in the regular season and it's all about seeing if, if he's ready for that opportunity so we will see on that uh, moving forward here to the Detroit Lions who went 6-10 and last season. which, As you noted, Dylan, the worst record they've had since 2012 trying to get back to their winning ways. And the question for them is uh, will the offense return to its high scoring ways this season? Because they did kind of experience one of those sort of I guess Law's last year. They bring in a new offensive coordinator in Daryl Bevel, which, uh, uh, I mean, you kind of look at it to where, I don't know. I mean, they we know what they have with Matthew Stafford. We know it's a situation where Carryon on Johnson's going to get touches probably. Uh, But I I still think we're in a situation where we don't really know what to expect with this Lions offense going into the season. Yeah, it
1: was interesting watching last year. They went, they dropped off all the way to 25th in points and 24th in yards. Uh, For a long time, the Lions, it was kind of mocked. They didn't have a 100-yard rusher for such a long time. And last year, they really became a pretty uh, run-heavy team, especially on early downs. Um, As a result, they ended up with a lot of longer third down distances. Matthew Stafford's efficiency and numbers really kind of fell off. Their play action just kind of goes into our name of our podcast about establishing the pass. The Lions play action passes were actually more effective in 2017 than 2018, despite the fact they're running the ball to set up the play action. So it kind of disproves the whole idea that you really have to run over and over again to set up play action. You can do it all, quite a bit and it'll still be effective. So I uh, they have, you know like, like you mentioned, some talented pieces, um, especially really at receiver too. We'll see if Kenny... Galladay can prove that he's a number one wideout. Uh, I think uh, from what we've seen in certain games, especially against the Packers, the two times they blew them out last year, he looked absolutely incredible. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the philosophy is under Daryl Bevel, another guy that's kind of run heavy. Um, it's it's interesting because they kind of changed with Matt P- Patricia, right? Who's a defensive guy, kind of wanted to have this philosophy of uh, being a smash mouth team. Uh, like we're seeing a lot of the better teams in the game, including teams with QBs that are, you know, not as good as Matthew Stafford. If you're throwing the ball early and often, it's going to usually lead to uh, shorter third downs and more efficiency on offense. So, uh, I think it's, they can, you know, return to their high scoring ways, but I think it's more about philosophy than maybe talent.
0: Well, and we know what they're going to be facing in that division, too, and, mm-hmm. and that's a problem because we know the Bears are where they are, and we're about to talk about another team, the Vikings. Uh, you feel like going to have an opportunity to get there to begin the playoff race, and that takes us to this team, which I think we can all agree, at least for me, I don't think we're going to be talking about the Packers being six nine and one um, <laughs> this season, I just don't think that's going to happen. I think their record is going to be better, um, but it will depend on this question, which is: Will Aaron Rodgers thrive in Matt Lafleur's offense in year one? And and for me, and a lot of people, we've heard it all preseason about the you know relationship between the two and how that's what everybody's going to make into the story. Well, here's what I say to that. Aaron Rodgers is still one of the best quarterbacks (laughs) in the game. He's one of the best to ever play the game. He's still got a a really good wide receiver unit. Devontae Adams is a star. We'll talk about him later in the fantasy section. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling I thought showed a lot of potential last year. Uh, You want to see more from that running game probably with Aaron Jones, but how do they use him? I think that's that's very intriguing. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I I think this Packers team is going to be a lot better, but how much better – like we say, may kind of depend on that that initial adjustment phase uh, in that offense.
1: Yeah, I debated having the question be about how good their defense can be, because I think even if we don't touch on that too much here, I think it'll be possibly a top 10 unit this season, uh, really complete, a lot of great additions, and I'm excited to see them. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, still the the predominant question that everyone's kind of thinking about is Rodgers and LeFleur and how it's all going to work out. Rodgers had already squashed the idea that have there been any like tension between LaFleur and him and then there was a great article from the Ringers Robert Mays this week that really went in depth on kind of the collaborative process between the two so the, the big contention here is what Rodgers you know this is new first new system in 11 years and under what LaFleur does there's a lot less freedom for Rodgers to do what he wants in the line of scrimmage a lot more plays under center more pre-snap motion way more play action so it's a completely different uh system than what Rodgers has uh done in the past but he's still in this article, he's interviewed by Robert Mays and he talks about, you know, he's open to a lot of the things and he's excited about the pre snap motion and what it can do, even if it limits his own ability to make last second changes. He can manipulate the defense more using play action. He was 29th out of 37th qualifying QBs and play action passes run last season. That's going to definitely jump quite a bit. The one thing that he Uh, emphasize two LaFleur's that he wants to hold on to his kind of same process that he uses in the red zone and on two-minute drills that he's had so much so much success with over his career so it'll be I think it's I'm really excited to see how they kind of mesh the two ideas Rogers doing kind of some of the things he's done so successfully for years but also having a fresh overall system that kind of is more designed to kind of uh succeed against modern defenses and what they do creating a lot of mismatches and uh, single one-on-one situations where, I mean, if, if you have a system kind of like what you see, what the Rams do with Jared Goff, but with Aaron Rodgers under center with what his, how his mind works, it's a scary proposition. Now, I don't know if LaFleur is going to be able to replicate what McVay did. Obviously he was there in 2017. He went to the Titans and kind of started putting some of these uh, ideas in before taking this job. But, uh, Nonetheless, even if it's something closer to that and Rodgers has any advantage uh, over uh, in terms of what he sees on the field compared to what he already has with his mind, it's going to be scary. And, uh, yeah, I think as much as the Bear, we'll talk about the Bears and Vikings, I I think the Packers, if I had to choose uh, uh, who's going to win the NFC North this year, I'd go with Green Bay.
0: Yeah, and I think they have a situation with Rodgers where, like we said, it's not something that every other team in the NFL, and there are others that can do this with Tom Brady and, and all these other you know great NFL quarterbacks that are going to go down as some of the best to ever play the game. It's just you have an advantage because even if you go onto the field with one thing in mind – and Aaron Rodgers decides to do something else, let's say, you know, he sees something different, mm-hmm. you're going to feel confident in his ability to be able to, to take advantage of a weakness. And that's not something that any, you know, a lot of teams have that advantage. They, they just don't have it because you don't have a quarterback like that. So even if there is, uh, you know, situations where you look at it, maybe they're not completely uh, on the same page. There are certain things that they're still going to be working on as the season goes along, but you still have Aaron Rodgers under center and you're still going to be in a really good spot um, and at least have an opportunity to do things that other teams can't do. So I do feel a lot better about where the Packers are at. I think they are, they are going to have a chance like you said to win that division and, and be a team that that can really, you know, make some noise in the playoffs. So I think that they put themselves in, in that position and really, you know, looking at the defense and the different players on offense, uh, there's a lot of positive things that could happen with that team this season. Um, another team that people will be looking to rebound this season and uh, it will come down to the quarterback, and that is Carolina Panthers. 7-9 and last year after such a great start. Um, a surprise for them to miss the playoffs, but when we kind of looked at how everything unfolded, with uh, a situation there at quarterback, and we'll go ahead and just lead into that. Will Cam Newton's shoulder hold up over the course of a 16-game season? That was uh, the biggest problem last year. That's why, you know, you felt like the Panthers did not get a chance to make the playoffs. It's why they struggled down the stretch. Um, You know, and we're going to talk about km 2 in the fantasy part later, but I, I don't think any of us know completely how he's going to kind of rebound from this because it is a shoulder um it, it's something where I don't know this could go a lot of different directions and while I do think the Panthers are going to be better uh because they do have a lot of talent there I mean Christian McCaffrey we you know DJ Moore Curtis Samuel all these guys on offense um there there is kind of an optimistic approach to this team but you know one tiny thing here or there that that changes you know Cam Newton's playing style or how they approach things on offense that could really throw a wrinkle in things.
1: Yeah, I mean, there. I remember there being articles back in, uh, I think it must have been March or April, about should the should the Carolina Panthers just shut down Cam for the entire season, just let him get completely healthy. Obviously, that's not happening, but like we've come a long way from there to you're having reports in training camp about his arm looking a, t- a lot better. Captain Munnerlin echoed those sentiments from beat writers in Carolina. So uh, that was the one thing, like you're mentioning, last year. They started so well. And then after, as the season went on, uh, Newton's shoulder issue flared up, and he he made a note, and if you watched the games, you probably would have noticed that teams were sh- sitting on shorter routes knowing he just couldn't throw deep. And it really uh, it took a lot of, away from what Carolina was doing so successfully early in the year. It was exciting to see what North Turner was able to do with that offense and McCaffrey and the different creative ways they used him. It was a really fun team. And then it was it just kind of sucks when you see a guy that so talented like Cam hampered by an injury like that and then really can't do what he's capable of. And it com- it changed everything. And it goes back to what we talked about Andrew Luck and different QBs all over the place uh, with Garoppolo last year in San Francisco. At the end of the day, you can do everything right. But if you don't have the right signal caller, there's a lot of wrong that can happen. Um, so hopefully, Cam, you know, they're saying he'll run less again, but they said that last year, and he's, he still was running a lot. And <laughs> Uh, we'll see. I mean, he's still an aggressive guy. Um, they kind of have an insurance policy. They drafted Will Greer from West Virginia in the third round. Um, I made a note that if they they only endure two million in dead cap, if they did move on from Cam after the season, I don't think that's going to happen. But if they really were not, if they really felt unsure about his health for the future, they have a little bit of an escape route. Um, so I, I really hope he stays healthy and we get to see this offense be its uh, the best version of itself for the entire twenty nineteen season.
0: Christian McCaffrey workhorse he is going to get plenty of touches again uh, so I wouldn't worry about that if we talk about it from a fantasy perspective uh he's he's gonna see the ball a lot so um no matter what happens I think they're with that but yeah camp camp situation that's what to watch for with the Panthers uh moving on to the Redskins who we mentioned a little bit earlier with the uh the Trent Williams situation and and that ties into the question uh, which I think you, you had a great <laughs> one here, is, you know, will the Redskins make a change to their medical staff? Because, like we said, Dylan, it's it's something that's that's being brought up in terms of uh, looking at players and how they've responded and what they've said publicly to some of these, you know, injury situations. And that's, that's something that, you know, for a team like the Redskins who had those injuries last year – now we talk about some of these guys who have injuries this season. We mentioned what Adrian, Peters said, Adrian Peterson said on uh, Trent Williams' absence just in general in terms of how it affects the team. Man, the Redskins are one of those teams it's hard to believe. They were so close to making the playoffs last year. It's hard to kind of – I think a lot of people forget that. Mm-hmm. But going into this year, it's like – I have no idea what we're going to see from them, and it is. It's kind of with the Trent Williams thing, you add in that, there's just a lot of unknowns there.
1: Yeah, last year with how the Eagles kind of struggled in close games, we'll talk about that, early in the year than losing Wentz, you had the Cowboys really taking off later in the year. Like you said, it looked like for a while Washington was going to just do the same thing in that NFC East that kind of seems to cycle from a new winner every year. It looked like they were going to be the next team to do it. Um, and then it kind of fell apart after Alex Smith got hurt, and that injury – obviously hurt them quite a bit they have you know right now it's not we'll see if colt mccoy or case keenum there's kind of one the coach will say one guy's leading the race and then one of the players will say the other so (laughs) it's kind of all over the place but at the end of the day i think um for the redskins it's i'm more concerned about you know beyond this season right like I don't think they're going to beat out the Cowboys and the Eagles for that division. So what are you, what are you doing for your long-term future? Having, having your, your best player stay away from the team because he's worried about the medical staff and how they handled his situation with the growth on his scalp. You have uh, their former safety, Sue Cravens, who's all still in the midst of a, of a case kind of against the medical staff and how they handled his injuries. Uh, It's not, not something we should expect uh, Daniel Snyder to change given his uh, inability to accept proactive ideas in general. So um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, yeah, that at the end, the bigger thing too, also with Trent Williams beyond just, you know, this season when Dwayne Haskins finally is the QB, as we mentioned above, um, have having that left tackle solidified by a pro perennial pro, pro bowl guy that you can really rely on to keep you safe. It, it, it really is so crucial to the development of a young QB. And, yeah. um, I'm concerned about Also, how this will impact free agents. They did did just sign Landon Collins, but as this situation plays out and more guys talk to Trent Trent Williams about what happened, it could really have a ripple effect on how players perceive the organization moving forward.
0: Yeah, short-term and long-term, you know, worries there with them. Uh, you mentioned in terms of just, you know, can you really see them beating out the Cowboys and the Eagles? I don't think anyone can say that right now. And and certainly you put them, the Redskins and the Giants, we just don't know what we're going to get with either one of them. And, and what is exactly the, the short-term and long-term future for both of those franchises um, so that, that there are some, some situations there where, if you're the Cowboys and the Eagles, uh, you're you're probably a step ahead of those two teams right now. Another team I mentioned it with the Packers, Dylan. I think going to be much much better. I think this team is going to be much much better too, um, and that is the Atlanta Falcons who went seven and nine last season. And I thought their record was a little bit deceiving. Uh, they just had the injuries, and you know they had some problems. And this problem specifically which is our question for the Falcons is can the Falcons exercise their red zone demons? Because Dylan, that was a big issue last year. Um, Not just that the Julio Jones situation uh, in terms of him being targeted in the red zone, but, they just could not kind of get through that at times and now if they can keep everybody healthy which is another thing with them um, I think the Falcons could be a lot lot better this year but again you got to be able to score points and uh, that's the name of the game
1: yeah they still they still put up a lot of points as a team Matt Ryan had nearly identical numbers to his MVP season which is crazy enough but yeah uh, there was a narrative kind of in the middle of the season that the Falcons had figured out their red zone issues because they, they had that one game to lead off the season against the Eagles where it was almost a carbon copy of their divisional round playoff game the year before where they just could not get in the end zone when they got inside the 20. Now, uh, by the end of the year, the numbers still show they struggled immensely in the red zone. The, inside the 10-yard line especially, they finished 28th uh, in efficiency and 31st inside the 5. They, And part of this uh as we'll kind of talk about some of the ideas that are um modern kind of analytic things is even though we talk about establishing the pass running inside the red zone is quite efficient and especially with receiving backs um and that was one thing that the falcons were really heavy on trying to force the ball in in the end zone not to julio jones though he only had seven targets inside the 10 and three catches which is staggering um yeah. You hope that if Devonte Hel- uh, De- Devonta healthy Devonta Freeman can stay healthy, <laughs> well, fi- uh, fantasy owners know the struggle with that last year. If he can stay healthy, their offensive line can improve. Then maybe they can you know run the ball, kind of mix it up a bit more when they get inside the ten, inside the five, and actually be productive um they're it makes a huge difference this team puts up a lot of points but when they struggle in the red zone that's often when you see them finishing with less than 20 points and over the last two years they're 0 13 when they don't score 20 points um makes a lot of sense considering some of the issues they had in defense especially with injuries it was tough their starting safeties both went out really early in the year they lose Deion jones to the ir it was just a disaster with injuries kind of similar to some of the things we saw the eagles actually overcome with their secondary but um yeah i think again like you said a much improved team they still have so much talent and i think the defense is one thing that even if they do struggle in the red zone still um, i think they'll at least improve a bit and the defense improving should put them you know in the playoff race again
0: yeah i'm buying the falcons i think they're gonna be a lot better and and yeah i mean the, the talent the weapons are there and it is it's just keeping everybody healthy especially on that defense that was their biggest downfall Last year and being able to, like we said, be more efficient uh, inside the ten and get Julio Jones involved a little bit more. But uh, no shortage of weapons there for him. Uh, Calvin Ridley, we saw what he did last year. There's just uh, there's so many weapons for for Matt Ryan to turn to, and uh, we'll talk about Matt Ryan a little bit later on too in the fantasy corner. But uh, another team who kind of is trying to make that next step. As a franchise to have a chance to compete for a Super Bowl, the Minnesota Vikings—they were eight-seven um, and one last season—and but to be able to win the Super Bowl, to be able to get to the Super Bowl, you have to make the playoffs, <laughs> and that is the question. For the Vikings is, can the Vikings prove missing the playoffs in 2018 was a fluke? They were another one of those teams, kind of like the Redskins, um, who were just, they were right there, but there were higher expectations for the Vikings than the Redskins, because uh, you brought in Kirk Cousins, you you saw what Adam Thielen did early in the season, Uh, you got Dalvin Cook back healthy, and now... You go into this season with with high expectations uh, because you get all these guys back. Stephon Diggs is there. Uh, I I don't know. It's still about Kirk Cousins for for me, Dylan. He's going to continue to have this label uh, until he can maybe put the Vikings in a situation where uh, they are a a team that can win that division year in and year out uh, and be able to get them to the playoffs this season.
1: Yeah, he even referenced the idea that he's just a 500 quarterback and kind of, It was almost speculating just from an outside kind of point of view on himself. You know, what am I really? Like, how, what can I do to, you know, overcome this? It's a mental hurdle at this point as much as a physical one, with given his record. He's four and 25 against teams who finished the year with winning records, one and six last year. Just really struggled to beat quality competition. Um, He had, you know, a few good games where, you know, he's putting up a lot of yards, but when it came down to the end of the game, he wasn't able to get it done. You know, the defense, Ike's, that was one thing last year for me. Like, I, I thought they were going to be at, at bare minimum a playoff team um, and probably make the playoff or, you know, win a couple games just given how good their defense is and how I thought the offense would perform. Maybe the offense wasn't quite as good as we'd hoped and the offensive line struggled at times to really protect Kirk Cousins and allow him to succeed. But the defense, it was crazy to see. I mean, they had some injuries, but they kind of dropped off as well. Um, in terms of their production compared to the past few years. They're running it back with mostly the same guys. They get to keep Anthony Barr after he nearly signed with the Jets and decided that was a bad idea. Um, <laughs> so we'll see what they do. Uh, there was some optimism at the end of the year uh, when they, when Kevin Stefanski took over play calling duties. He used a lot more 12 personnel compared to 11 over the last three weeks, and their yards per attempt on those plays gained nearly 35 Yards more. Um, they'd used 12, only 16% all season. Those last three weeks, they used 32% of the time. So, loading up with more protection for Cousins with two tight ends and uh, just allowing Thielen and Diggs more time to get open on those longer developing routes was a big thing for them. I, yeah, I mean, I know I said that I'm picking the Packers to win the division, but it's not like the Vikings aren't going to be on their heels the whole time. And those those games between the Vikings and Packers, the Vikings and Bears, are going to be some of the best, uh, most intense games we'll see all season, I think.
0: Yeah, it's just about building that chemistry. You would think there's a little bit more now this year with, uh, you know, you have another off season under your belt. You've got everybody certainly hungry to get to the playoffs, and, and maybe that puts the Vikings in a spot where they have a chance to do that. This season, another team with playoff aspirations, uh, trying to get back to winning a Super Bowl like they did not long ago, the Philadelphia Eagles, who went nine and seven last year, uh, but now they, instead of a a two quarterback situation where uh, you you kind of looked at it and never really knew what to expect uh, in terms of how things were going to unfold there, and now though it is clear that Carson Wentz is the man, and that is the question: is Carson can Carson Wentz stay healthy? for an entire season and it goes back to what we talked about with the cam newton situation this is what's going to sort of decide what the eagles are being able to do this season it's going to you know show us how far they can go Uh, they've got to have a healthy carson Wentz center center because we know the talent's there with him um it's just a matter of of being on the field and having a you know a a situation where you're bouncing back uh from from a couple of, of really sort of significant injuries
1: Yeah, even though, you know, it it felt kind of like they snuck into the playoffs right at the end with Nick Foles getting some of his magic from the year before, uh, when Wentz did play, uh, in in terms of early down success rate uh, against their opponents, which is just the amount of times that you're able to convert first downs on either first or second down and preventing it on defense, the Eagles won that 10 out of 11 games. Uh, Usually if you do that, you're going to have a much better record than they did. Uh, they had some costly turnovers, a couple of really tough losses uh, that stick out were to the Titans where they're winning by 14, the Panthers they're winning by 17 and blew those leads. So uh, obviously they had a ton of injuries to their secondary. I think this year with Wentz. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, if he doesn't stay on the field, they don't really have that safety net with Foles in Jacksonville. Um, I think he has another year, you know, off of the injury, off of the ACL recovery. I think he'll be stronger and just being smarter with some of the things they do. I think they can implement some of the how they kind of play called two folds of strengths. to kind of they didn't really allow him to improvise and do as many big things. They can, I think, they can kind of implement some of that with Wentz, especially as they try to keep him in the pocket, keep him healthy. Um, they also have you know a strong running game with Sproles, Jordan Howard should be interesting to see how he fits in. Josh Adams made a lot of. uh fantasy owners that picked him up on the waiver wire happy at certain times last year. So they have so many injuries to their receiving corps that this team uses a ton. of two tight end sets and 12 personnel with uh Ertz and uh, Dallas goat So I, yeah, I'm really excited to see how all of this fits together. I think they're perhaps the deepest team in the entire NFL, um, at least in the NFC. It's just more of uh, at the end of the day, it can hit when stay on the field for an entire season. Cause we just haven't seen it the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, they love their potential there. They love the talent on that roster. And and again, they're not that far removed from being a team that won the Super Bowl. And so uh, it's just a matter of having that consistency, keeping a guy like Wins healthy. If they can do that, uh, they are going to have a great chance uh, to go a long way in the playoffs this season Uh, next up. And this is one of my favorite questions on the board, because it's one that I have been just asking for years and years and years now. It seems like Um, Dylan, we're going to the Seattle Seahawks. He went 10 and (laughs) six last year. And the question I thought you worded perfectly is, will the Seahawks let Russell Wilson throw the damn ball? Throw the damn ball, Seahawks, because uh, you've got all these guys. I think that he's so good at quarterback. And, yes, you lose Doug Baldwin. Um, You still got Tyler Lockett there. But my request is this. As a fantasy (laughs) football lover, please throw Chris Carson the ball more. And Brian Schottenheimer has said he's going to do that. He's going to get his running backs. Rashad Penny's there. They're going to throw to these guys, but I will tell you, I will not believe it until I see it.
1: I mean, they paid them like one of the three or four best QBs in the entire NFL, yet they still had the most run-heavy team in the NFL last year. The only teams even with close rates were the Bills, Jags, and Titans, who do not have Russell freaking Wilson. As I wrote down here, I wanted to make sure that's clear again. Uh, this team, yeah, uh, they ran the ball so much in early downs, and it led to them having the 19th far- furthest uh distance to go on all their third downs throughout the season I think the you saw the one game where they kind of did let them loose was against the Kansas City Chiefs and Russell Wilson was able to actually beat Patrick Mahomes in a shootout and it was one of the more thrilling games that I think when I when I was looking over this it was one where I you know I think of the Rams Chiefs game and I think of a few other ones last year that really stick out and somehow that one kind of got lost and I remember thinking oh yeah that was just an amazing Uh, just visual performance to watch two guys just going toe to toe like that and then immediately after that they started going back to running again and um, uh, early and often and I think the most frustrating game was the playoff game you you look at a team in the Cowboys that they faced in the wild card round that had the fifth best rush defense 16th against passes yet Seattle still ran nine times in the first half for only 19 yards they proceed in the second half to start their first Uh, six drives or uh, sorry six first downs with runs um, and they're trailing so it it just it was they had a lot of three and outs and I will get when we get into Dallas it's kind of a similar idea too with how in that game it just seemed like both teams are punting back and forth and can they learn from what some of the issues were with those play calls but I I want to believe that they're going to let Russell Wilson throw more and they've kind of said that but Brian Schottenheimer has doubled down on setting the tone with uh, establishing the run to set up the play action I've already talked about how I don't really believe with what the numbers show that you need to establish the run the setup play action um we'll see if they get their running backs more involved in the passing game maybe that'll be a way to kind of supplement some of those runs and uh yeah i i mean as you know being in la rooting for the rams uh, you know i still I, i would like for seattle to not let russell wilson throw the damn ball but at the same time i want to see what he can really accomplish when the uh you know when he's allowed to kind of put out his best performance and really do what he's capable of
0: i'll tell you what i want you talk about great combinations in life peanut butter and jelly burger and fries i want chris carson and ppr <laughs> to be a, one of the best combinations of anything you can find because uh they need to get him more involved in the passing they need to get their running backs more involved period in the passing game and and maybe that's something they are going to try to do uh because they they, they have a talented group of running backs there we, we talked about these guys uh, yes they lost mike davis to, to the bears but you've still got carson you've still got penny and and they have a lot of you know a high expectations for those guys and and certainly being able to use them uh, would give them another element there in that offense especially in the passing game so uh next up the Dallas Cowboys went 10-6 and last year and uh I think Dylan you, you bring up a really good point with the Cowboys because this is something that may have sort of uh flew under the radar with them will the Cowboys learn from their successful aggressive style of play in the first half of games uh this season because that was something where, if you watched the game sometime, it almost felt like you know they were sort of a, a tale of two halves for them.
1: Yeah, they uh, per Warren Sharp and efficiency, they finished 12th in the first half in offense, uh, 25th in the second half. They played a ton of close games, and it would feel like you know you'd see them early in the game throwing down the field, letting Dak take some shots. Um, whether uh, you believe that's the best idea, I mean, that's up to your own opinion, mm-hmm. but. You know, it, it showed Joe with the numbers as they bore out by the end of the season, they they would get a lot more conservative with their first down runs early in the half and the second half, especially it would lead to a lot of long third downs, tons of three and outs, um, putting more stress on their defense. It, like I had already touched on in that Seahawks game, it was kind of like watching <laughs> these two teams just like both <laughs> uh, kind of committing to the run when they know it's not working. It's like, you just want one of them to to kind of take some shots and see what they can do and uh, eventually Dallas held on, but that that came down to Dak having one crazy run inside the red zone and a few uh, plays here and there that went their way. So you know their offensive line, if it stays healthy this year and regains the dominance it had uh, from years past, I think this could minimize some of the issues with the approach. Because you'll see with if Zeke's on the field as long as they get him signed um and their offensive line as healthy as it can be maybe this doesn't matter maybe you're just so dominant that you're able to still get five six yards on first down by running the ball and uh, when the other team knows you're going to run it uh the the cowboys do have the most expensive offensive line in the nfl thanks to dax contract which we'll see when that <laughs> actually goes up but yeah it it's a team that uh one other note i made was that they played uh or they won not not played nine one score games they won nine one score games which just is bound to regress. If you look at some of the stuff that Bill Barnwell does at and he talks a lot about the one score game notes and teams that like the 2016 Raiders, I believe that went 12 and four, another team that was insanely successful in one score games. One year later, they regressed to, I don't know how many wins. It was like six, maybe. So, um yeah it'll be interesting to see what they can do we'll see if Amari Cooper continues to have such a positive effect on Dak but tough division with the Eagles um but still another uh Super Bowl contender if they can put all the pieces together
0: Yeah Mark Cooper's been out with that uh heel injury and uh they they don't seem concerned with that so uh hopefully he's he's getting back and ready to go full strength uh, for them because as we know, that they do have one of the most exciting offenses they can when you have Zeke on the field, when you have Amari Cooper, and certainly the forty million dollar man. We're going to call him Dak Prescott. We don't know if he's going to get forty million. My guess is he probably won't. But <laughs> we're going to have fun with we're going to have fun with that rumor until it goes away. So um, next up, uh, several teams to go here. It's the Chicago Bears who went twelve and four last season um and really uh, the expectations for the bears as we know are very high but again dylan a good point here with this question is can the bears win now before the salary cap becomes an issue in 2020 because we look at the how things are structured um it's going to maybe be a bit of an an interesting off season going into uh, the following season and when you kind of look at how this team is built you do feel like the Bears are one of those teams that have a chance to to come out of the NFC just because that they have a lot of talent just because of how good that defense is.
1: Yeah, uh, Mitchell Trubisky and his progression this, uh, last year was a great sign, obviously, with how good their defense is. Whether that was how much that can be credited to what Nagy was able to do with his scheme and how much was uh, his own personal development, I think will be a crucial part of what they do this year as teams kind of adapt to some of the things they adopted last season. Um, we'll see if Trubisky can keep throwing the, da- the ball down the field with the success he did last year. I was that was one thing I was surprised about after his rookie year. Was watching him hit some of these long throws. It helps having a guy like Allen Robinson, but it'll be exciting. But yeah, for the question, yeah, it came from just reading over their preview and um, Warren Sharp's uh, preview book, and he talked about how. The, in 2020, the Bears already have the second highest salary cap allocations for that year, 53 million above league average. You have guys like Cleo Mack, whose uh, cap hit goes from 11.9 million to 26.6 million in 2020. Uh, Eddie Goldman, Kyle Fullard, Leonard Floyd, a lot of guys uh, with their numbers going up, you're eventually going to have to pay Trubisky if you believe you're, he's your QB, whether it's something closer to Dak, still the market's going to make it a big deal. Um, and their depth has really been hurt by trades in terms of what they can do if they if they suffer some injuries. They had decent injury luck last year, um, but Chicago has drafted the fewest players in the NFL over the last three years, just in totality, uh, mostly because of these uh, the Trubisky and Mack trades and a few others. Um, and just six players in the first three rounds. So we'll see what they can do this year. I think a, a team that if they don't beat out the Packers and Vikings for the North, that you'd be surprised if they don't get in the playoffs with all the talent they have. David Montgomery, we're all on his hype uh, fantasy-wise, just actual watching-wise. It's really fun guy to see on the field. So I think as a, if you're a Bears fan, this season just focus on this. Um, and we'll see next year if they're going to have to make some cuts uh, based on the cap
0: yeah they they have a lot of opportunity this season to to win a lot of games and they did that last year as we know 12 and 4 I mean that's that's nothing to be upset about but their expectations are high and they want to have an opportunity to get to the Super Bowl and how the roster's built uh, they feel like they're going to have that opportunity this season so uh, wrapping up with the uh, couple teams here and two teams of note of course the Los Angeles Rams 13 and 3 last season uh, the question for them is will Sean McVay and Jared Goff successfully adapt to defensive schemes which uh, will mimic the patriots in super bowl 53 uh, that is the, the best question to me dylan because we saw how kind of i guess the, the rams offense perform down the stretch and then once we got to the super bowl and saw how things unfolded in terms of the preparation and the schemes and the matchups against the patriots um uh, there are going to be a lot of people uh, on nfl staffs watching that game tape uh, whenever they get ready to play the rams this season yeah
1: i think you'd be foolish to not do that right i mean how can you yeah. not see what the <laughs> patriots did taking one of the best offenses in the nfl and keeping them the three points uh yeah, this, this is a question that's close to my heart, my rooting interest, but also just from a football perspective, something that I've been interested in all offseason that's kind of dominated my thought process is how McVay and Goff will adapt and what really went wrong. Uh, it kind of goes back to their week 13 win over the Lions. They only had 16 points going to the fourth quarter against a pretty weak Detroit defense. Um, Detroit. Had coming off a bye week went into this game they're focused on defending early down play action passes and shutting down the run some of the things that the rams really do well um running on first down from 11 getting five six yards getting chunks of their zone scheme so to to kind of combat that the lions have ran wider splits of their defense alignment with a lot of interior blitzers to kind of plug up those zone running schemes um they also disguise blitzes and coverages that make it more difficult to, for Goff to process the defense. When Goff's at his best, you'll see times when if he if he knows what the coverage is, he's making throws before the guy makes the cut, and it looks like you know he's processing things differently. But if there's disguises and it takes him a while to actually see what the defense is, that's kind of where you see some of the plays that happen in the Super Bowl. Um, and it was disappointing. Warren Sharp had an article before the Super Bowl, um, and, and it, it, literally, it kind of played out exactly. So the Rams ran more 11 personnel than any team in the NFL – uh, with one tight end one running back and the patriots had the third best defense against 11. now uh on top of that you know part it actually went down more too when cooper cup became injured so that was another thing for the rams they're already their 11 performance on 11 was already decreasing um and they're playing a team that's premier one of the premier defenses against 11. now when they ran 12 personnel they did not run this very often all season with two tight ends but when they did it was pretty successful their uh, success rate as a team went up from 47 to 67 percent on 12 personnel and the Patriots were 26 against passing plays from 12 so you'd think okay this is a place that the Rams can exploit but instead the Rams only ran three plays the entire Super Bowl out of 12 and the first one they ran was the Goff Cooks near TD where where Brandon Cooks you see him run wide open and he's Goff just doesn't see it until it's too late lobs the ball and it gets knocked down by McCordy and it's just a frustrating thing the only, the fact that they didn't really adjust to seeing, you know, if with what the Patriots are doing, we need to max protect and really give Goff the time for some of these things to develop. So, we'll see how they implement take that into to heart. They also ran less play action in the Super Bowl than they had all year, um, which would have helped mute the pass rush as well. So, I I believe that the Rams will adapt. You have I mean, you have to think that uh Goff as he gets older he's only 24 too that he's going to learn to process the coverages better um, with his arm talent some of the things he does with deep throws if he sees a defense and um, is able to kind of work on this stuff it'll really take him to another level and Robert Mays noted on uh, one of the Ringer podcasts recently that the Rams are running way more 12 personnel at practice so it seems like they're kind of they you know they took this punch there and they're really trying to learn McV- McV- what I love about McVay's is uh, as much as he gets a lot of praise, he's not really a—he's a pretty humble guy, and he's not someone that's gonna look at it and, and say stubborn beyond you know one game. He stayed stubborn in the Super Bowl, but I think uh, moving forward, he's not gonna just stick to it at this point. He's gonna try to adapt and make the offense more multiple. Um, we'll see if the defense can build off its strong Super Bowl performance. I think that's something that's lost unless you. Or a Rams fan maybe that that defense still holding the Patriots at thirteen points. They played championship caliber defense in that Super Bowl. If they can have a better performance all year with the Rams offense playing anywhere near what it did last season, I think they'll be right in the hunt for the uh, NFC title again.
0: It is easy to forget that Jared Goff is only 24 and it feels like he's been in the league forever. It seems like at some point, because uh, you think about sort of the changing of the guard there with the Rams and maybe uh, someone that's gotten a lot of experience and, you know, in only several years in the league now. But, um, yeah, his progression and just the overall progression of the offense, uh, we saw what they were capable of last year. And now just trying to build off of that, even though there are some question marks and we'll bring up one of those specifically. Here in a minute when we get to the fantasy section, but we do wrap up uh, the NFC questions with the New Orleans Saints who were 13 and 3, got to the NFC title game, but that is the question, is will the Saints avoid a hangover from that NFC title game? Everyone in New Orleans, uh, everybody associated with the Saints, uh we know what uh, the problem was when you talk about the controversial play at the end of that game um it was talked about over and over and over again and look i mean you know people will argue one way or the other people argue lots of different things about that uh but you know you have to get beyond that i think they'll be able to do it uh but that's certainly a question that i think a lot of people are going to have for this team
1: yeah i think uh, given how many months it's been now uh you'd hope that it wouldn't really have a hangover effect on them this is more i know at the time obviously justifiably there was a lot of outrage there but it kind of got to the point where uh, you had the the parade, the protest, the Super Bowl. There was an attempt by some fans to sue the NFL for the outcome, for damages. And uh, Michael Thomas calling for a reversal of the game based on that uh, rule that kind of – obsc- it was Rule 17, Section 2, Article 3. I didn't write out the whole thing, but it, it kind of <laughs> allows if there's some – the rule exists for, say, there's like a final play. And there's a guy wide open. He's going to catch a game when he touches it. And some fan just tackles him or some ref just yeah. tackles him. There's like a really notable thing like that that happens. It's like, all right, this really did impact the, the game. Now, you could say that the uh, missed call, uh, really egregious miscall call that was completely obvious. I mean, Nikhil Roby Coleman said after the game, yeah, it was early. He like he completely acknowledged it. Mm-hmm. Um and there's no way to beat around it. But it, missed calls do happen all the time, and it's not like the Saints didn't have a chance to win, whether it be stopping the Rams from getting in the field goal range to force OT or getting the ball first. I mean, you have the, the Chiefs advocating for the overtime rule to be changed to allow both teams to have possession of the ball. In this case, the Saints did get possession of the ball first, and uh, they threw a pick and ended up losing. So um, I think at this point, this lot far in, I don't think it will have an impact. But – uh they they have so much talent i think a bigger concern on an actual from an actual football level might be some of the struggles that breeze had down the stretch he took a really tough hit on thanksgiving and in his last four games of the regular season only had 3 pa- uh, td passes 3 interceptions struggled with the deep ball not quite to the same level as um as cam newton as we talked about earlier but still something to watch and also their secondary was 29th in total pass defense uh, last year that's something that has to improve cuz I mean, as as much as you want to believe that the Saints are going to keep putting up points at the insane levels that they do, um, and with Michael Thomas and now the, inserting Jared Cook at tight end, uh, it, there's no reason to believe it won't happen. But if you want to make the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl, I think their defense needs to take another step as well.
0: Yep, we'll see what happens with the Saints. Uh, they do have a lot of talent, uh, you know, like a lot of these teams that feel like they have a chance to contend. For a Super Bowl, and uh, there are several aspects, like you said, the Drew Brees situation. You look at the receiving core, you know Latavius Murray there now, and and all these different things are going to be interesting to see uh, how they unfold there for the Saints, and that secondary has got to get better. So we'll see what happens there with them. All right, that wraps up our questions for every single NFC team. Now you have that knowledge, so we're going to wrap up uh, with the always fun and exciting fantasy quarter and. I'll tell you, Dylan Adam, especially fun with this one. Uh, we're going to call this the "trust issues" edition <laughs> of the fantasy corner because uh, we've got trust issues with some of these guys. So here's what I've done: is I've gone through. We've got five sections. I've I, each of these kind of have a name. There's several players in each section, and we're going t- to kind of make our decisions on which of these players we trust the most, which of these players we trust the least. So if you're someone, fantasy football-wise, getting ready for your draft, uh, guys you want to be able to rely on or guys that maybe you're trying to rely on that we are going to tell you, please stop now, because they may not be able to be trusted. Let's start with the first group, which uh, to me, Dylan, I have this... Have this themed as the QB Tier 2. If you look around at all these different rankings and all that, you're going to see these guys maybe in that next tier uh, beyond the, the top, top quarterbacks in the league. And here's who I have in this group. So here's what I want from you. Who do you trust the most? Who do you trust the least? We've got Matt Ryan, Baker Mayfield, Cam Newton, and Carson Wentz.
1: Ah, uh, man, really tough. I mean, all these ones, you really make it tough on me to kind of make a decision because I, I like to think when we talk about the previews, you can tell that I try to be more positive as much as I can about these <laughs> guys, and it's tough to say who the least. I think the most was an easy one for me and just Matt Ryan. Uh, like I said before, yeah. he had similar numbers to his uh, MVP season last year, completed nearly 70% seventy percent uh, of his passes for 4,924 yards, 35 touchdowns of seven picks, passer rating of 108, so, I mean, he was absolutely tremendous. And I think, as we talked about, there's no reason to believe he won't put up big numbers again. So, for trust most, I'm going to go Matt Ryan. Um, trust the least, uh, maybe Newton because of his shoulder. That's the, you know, and kind of what we touched on there. Wentz staying healthy the entire season. Baker Mayfield, I don't have as many concerns about him as a quarterback, more concerns about their running game and how strong it can be and how that might take away from some of his opportunities, especially in the red zone. Um, but I'll, I'll go with Cam just because of the shoulder. And I'll believe it when I see it for the whole season with him being able to throw the ball down the field.
0: Yeah, I agree on the Matt Ryan thing. And to me, I put this in my notes. I think it's this is a clear Matt Ryan or Baker Mayfield trust most. Cam Newton, Carson Wentz, trust least. I think that's that's the group there to, to me because the, the other one, you know, the least ones are the ones with injury concerns. Um, when you look at Matt Ryan and Baker Mayfield, they're both going to play in high-powered offenses. I would still put Matt Ryan ahead of them from a fantasy perspective. Uh, but, man, you talk about Baker. The hype train is in full effect. For our boy Baker, because it is all over social media. It's everywhere. Uh, We talked about the Browns last week, that the expectation for them is to make the playoffs. There are even people thinking that they can win multiple games in the playoffs. The hype train is in full effect. Um, And with all the offensive weapons he has, I don't know. Maybe we're looking up at Baker as as one of the, you know, top-tier quarterbacks uh, in fantasy football this season. We'll see. Um, Speaking of quarterbacks, we're going to stay on that theme with the veteran quarterback edition here. Um, these three players all grouped together and, and I don't know, this one is still sort of tough to me, uh, because when you look at it from a ranking perspective, um, I think potentially they're maybe in reverse order because, uh, we'll talk about that in a second, but the three quarterbacks in this group, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, and Philip Rivers, if you look at Fantasy Pro's consensus rankings, Big Ben is 14, uh, Philip Rivers is 17, Tom Brady is 21, I don't know Dylan. I mean, I, I may put the opposite order on that in terms of we pick him. You know, the player we trust the most, the player we trust the least. It's still hard not to just completely trust Tom Brady. But again, we are looking at this from a fantasy perspective. Still, I don't know, man. I, I mean, Big Ben. I uh, see i say that i don't know like i go back and forth because big ben loses antonio brown but he's still got good weapons there that's
1: why you need just a little luck when it comes to your draft and some of the things that happen i yeah like like if we're gonna trust one qb from a football perspective it's got to be tom brady out of these three at this point um but fantasy-wise, yeah, the Patriots kind of are one of the teams that I talked briefly about the idea of uh, efficiency running with receiving backs inside the red zone, and James White was in- incredibly productive doing that, and just another team with a great offensive line that runs really close to the end zone and scores a lot of rushing touchdowns. So that's going to take away some of the fantasy value for Brady. I, I mean, yeah, fantasy perspective... I still, I still would just go Brady because I love the value of him being at 21. I like the idea of being able to get someone that I can still trust like that later and fulfill, uh, kind of fill out the rest of my roster. For the least, I'm only going to go with Ben, Ben, Big Ben because uh, we talked last week about some of his uh, struggles uh, week to week, uh, some of the games where it looked like he was starting to lose it, then he'd come back and look amazing. So just a little more inconsistency than Phillip Rivers um, where I, I just – felt especially over the second half that year pretty comfortable with what he was doing the weapons they have and especially if there's no melvin gordon just more passes for them I'll, i'll go with uh roethlisberger by default as the player i trust the least
0: Yeah, I think I would put them in that order, too. You talk about the quarterbacks grouped around those. Uh, Jameis Winston is at 13, so just ahead of Ben Roethlisberger. Behind Ben Roethlisberger, Lamar Jackson and Dak Prescott before you get to Phillip Rivers at 17. Uh, And then you have Kirk Cousins, Mitch Trubisky, Josh Allen ahead of Tom Brady, which, like you said, I think that's that's great value for Tom Brady if he's behind some of those guys, uh, you know, because there are more unknowns with a couple of those guys. And so... From a value standpoint, you've got to trust Tom Brady the most uh, in that scenario for picking between those three players, uh, depending on where you get them in the draft. Uh, Running backs are, as we know, the uh, sort of foundation of fantasy football. And um, to me, these are just four intriguing running backs you kind of pick from a group here and And I thought this is maybe one of the tougher ones to pick from because there, man, there's a lot of value here when you look at the upside for these four guys. And that's James Conner, Le'Veon Bell, Damian Williams, and Todd Gurley. Now, my problem here, Damian Williams is going to play in the best offense of the group. I mean, I think the Chiefs are going to have the best offense. You can you can debate with the Rams and all that, and certainly uh, we know the Rams are going to be one of the better offensive teams in the NFL too. But with Mahomes, with all the speed we talked about, the problem is that Andy Reid will not stop talking about Carlos Hott. <laughs> and that, that becomes a problem for me. Um, because if he's going to, you know, not make Damian Williams kind of that workhorse, which I still think he's going to be. I mean, he showed a lot of promise last year. Uh, there's obvious concerns with Gurley, but the player I trust the most from this group is still going to be Le'Veon Bell, even though he sat out last season. And the reason why is I just don't think the Jets have enough offensive weapons around him from a consistency standpoint. Um, I probably trust Le'Veon the most and uh, the least – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go first, but then I'm going to decide my lease while you're talking. I'm, I'm going to steal your answer.
1: <laughs> I'm going to go most, uh, uh, trust the most on Le'Veon uh, as well. Uh, the sheer volume thing, I, I think with a year off from football, maybe that some people might think he's going to be rusty. I think it could help. A running back's health with how many times, how many uh, hits he was really taking over his career, really being a bell cow back for Pittsburgh. I, I think their offensive line in New York is going to be better. I think Sam Darnold will be better. I think they'll throw the ball a lot to Levy on. I think they'll do a ton of things where he's a huge part of their offense. So, uh, just just in that way, kind of, you know, you have the concern about Damien Williams with Carlos Hyde, which is fair. And I mean, we know in fantasy, you don't want to have a guy vulturing out those touchdowns and some of those touches when you really need them. James Conner, I didn't really have as many things to say here. I, I You know, he was had a, a really solid stretch, and I had a guy in my league that got him really late last year when everyone thought Le'Veon was okay. still going to come back, and he had a great year to start, and then he kind of dropped off and didn't have quite the same performances. So I, I, I'm not as on him. Like, I, I know with Le'Veon, I feel like, you know, maybe James Conner has a better situation, or not maybe, he does, but I, I think Le'Veon will be featured more. Um, and I think he's like you said. He's a more important part of the offense. Todd Gurley. I, I know with the injuries, we, we've you know those have kind of been dealt with, and we talked about those. Another concern with them is just their two of their longtime starting offensive linemen are gone. Um, they're going to have Joseph Notebloom at guard and Brian Allen at center taking over, and we'll see if they can um, improve or at least uphold. You know, it was one of the better offensive lines in the NFL with a ton of continuity, and now maybe these guys are more talented than Saffold um, and those guys at last year, but. We will see, you know, how it works out with Gurley. Another thing is they have Daryl Henderson, who they drafted to really help take some of the carries. And I know his fantasy value is going to probably keep going up as he gets more comfortable in the offense. Um, So, yeah, I I go Le'Veon for the most, and I will trust the least, I guess, just Gurley because of the injuries.
0: Yeah, it's crazy because I I would probably put Todd Gurley in that group too in terms of trust the least. But – Uh, I don't know Uh, you could you could make the case for Damian Williams I think because of what we talked about um you know he did prove his potential but yeah you don't know you know if you get that committee situation where Carlos Hyde gets in there and maybe eventually takes over um that's that could be a potential problem there for him so um next up the top wide receivers these are the receivers that most people seem to think are the top four. Now, we're going to have a laugh here in a second because there's one guy that's not in this top four because you can only have four of them and not five of them, and that is Michael Thomas, who is not in this group I have here, but he could be someone you could throw into this mix, and Dylan, I know you have strong feelings about this. But if we're talking about the one we trust the most, the one we trust the least of the top four wide receivers, it seems like in a lot of people's minds from a fantasy standpoint, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams... Julio Jones, and Odell Beckham Jr. This is a tough one.
1: Yeah, I think in terms, like you mentioned on Michael Thomas, I put an enthusiastic yes when asked if he belongs in the group. (laughs) Now, doesn't mean I'll say I trust him the most, Uh, but I I do think he deserves to be mentioned with these guys and the sheer volume with uh, how many, you know, receptions he gets from Drew Brees and his place in the offense and his health and, uh, you know, his ability to run after the catch. I think He's a great guy for if you're you're not really worried in PPR wise either. He's going to have a lot of receptions and I think he's already I don't know if he already I, I don't I should have looked up the stat, but I think he's either set the record for most receptions in the first 4 years of a of a Saints player or he's already pretty high on the leaderboard all time. Um so yeah, you can't really go wrong with any of these guys. I'll go trust the most with Julio Jones given Atlanta's uh, success to the air and I think his numbers in the red zone will only increase as they try to address the lack of targets there. Um, you have a new system for Adams. We talked about how we think it'll still work out. Um, you know, with, uh, Deandre Hopkins, he's probably the guy I trust the most, just from a, just individual perspective and with his health too, with Julio, you, you got some injuries that kind of happened from here to there, but I've expressed last week, some of my concerns with Bill O'Brien's play calling and what the uh, Texans have in their offensive line. So I'll go with, uh, I'll go with Julio Jones for trusting the most. I don't really know which one to say, though, for trust the least. It's, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, Odell, yeah, you still think even with all the weapons they have in Cleveland, he's going to get a ton of uh, looks and yeah. really take their team to another level. He's had some injury issues, too, but I really have a tough time saying which one I trust the least. I'd be happy with any of them. I'd probably take, you know, depending on where they are in the draft, I'll take the one that has the, the lowest ADP, I guess. <laughs>
0: Yes. Please. If you're listening to this, this was done as sort of a trick question because I trust every single one of these guys. Um, and it's impossible to say, stay away from any of these guys. If they're there, take them quickly. Um, this was sort of a a trick question because yeah, you can, you can make the positives. And, And for us, it was just about maybe finding that top one of these four, uh, maybe the one you feel like you can trust the most, uh, I would probably go with Julio. I'm tempted to go with Devontae Adams so I'll tell you, I, mm-hmm. I think he is the one that Aaron Rodgers is going to always go to by default. Um and they're going to he's going to be very involved in that offense. And uh ah, that's a tough one. He's, and his and, route you know, running
1: too is just it's so fun to watch the things man. he does. It's like you watch the, the you'll see on Twitter some of these guys you can follow that will break it down with an isolated camera on what he does with his footwork. It's it's something to it's so fun to watch.
0: Yeah, no, he's he's the real deal. And uh, so, yeah, there you go. My answer is I trust all four of these guys <laughs> and uh, I, I do not, you know, not trust any of them. So sorry, that's the trick question. But we'll wrap up with one that's a little bit harder to, to choose from. And that's what I sort of looked at as the breakout wide receiver. These guys have the potential just a matter of maybe how they're used in the offense and what their consistency is. Christian Kirk. Cardinals Dante Pettis with the 49ers Corey Davis with the Titans and Curtis Samuel with the Panthers that's a that's a very intriguing group to me
1: yeah I think they all have a chance to to make uh, you know big names for themselves fantasy wise uh, depending on where you can get them to, there's going to be a lot of value. Uh, but you, I mean, we've seen with Corey Davis where he'll have one game where he'll have a ton of uh, receptions and then another game where he'll kind of have you know two catches for 20 yards. And I, I as a Corey Davis fantasy owner last year, know that pretty well. Um I think if I had to pick one I trust the most it, I'll go with Dante pettis just because of my faith in Kyle Shanahan's offense, garoppolo being back and some of the things he was able to do last year. I think he'll just take more strides there. And that's not really a knock on anyone else out of this list. I think with Christian Kirk it's more just questions of how the uh new system with Kingsbury will really succeed. Curtis Samuel it's more related to, you know, their uh how heavy they kind of lean on McCaffrey. Maybe Samuel will see more uh, receptions they've kind of hyped him up a, quite a bit in training camp and i think he has the potential to do it but uh if i had to tr- trust the most i'll go with dante pettis for the least i'm just going to go back to uh cory davis unfortunately i <laughs> i don't mean to bash on him i think he's an amazing player and i you know we'll see And it's also partially on his qbs right i mean last year i mean yeah. he'll have now this year Tannehill is the backup for mariota so it'll be a little different but uh that's just how i'm gonna have to break it down <laughs> That's
0: It's bad because I could say I trust Corey Davis the most or I could say I trust Corey Davis the least, which <laughs> means I do not trust him the most. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know with him. I mean, he's he's got all the potential in the world. It may be the offense. It may be the quarterback. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to have that full breakout season, but you know, everybody seems to think he is, but I don't know. I have a lot of issues there. And, and Dante Pettis, to me, may be the one because, like you said, in that offense, um getting Jimmy G back it's a situation where he could have a lot of success so I may go with him uh, I'd probably put Curtis Samuel right after that Christian Kirk I, I think he's going to be involved in Kingsbury's offense but to what extent and how does that you know correlate with what Kyler Murray's going to do both in the air and on the ground I don't know so yeah may, maybe Dante Pettis we know Jimmy G's going to throw the ball uh you know Curtis Samuel's going to be right there with DJ Moore. So those are the guys i put at the top of that. Just, I wish I could trust Corey Davis more, but I don't. So um, there you go. That wraps it up. Uh, we have given you so much knowledge. Dylan has given you a ton of numbers to really uh, ruminate on here as we get uh, ready for the start of the regular season. And, As we've said before, these these first several preview episodes will be a bit longer than the ones we'll have during the regular season just because, you know, we're we're trying to throw as much knowledge at you as we can to get you ready for the start of the season. So uh, on the next podcast, it will be all about fantasy football. And, yes, uh, I know a lot of you are getting ready for your drafts everybody's getting ready to make their picks so we're going to devote uh, a large amount of our, our next episode next week uh, to the fantasy football aspect and we're going to discuss uh, the Achilles heel for every single Super Bowl contender so we'll tell you uh, for teams who feel like they can't get to the Super Bowl we'll tell you why they may not get to the Super Bowl uh, and really bring some uh, you know pessimism into the, uh, yes. the equation for all <laughs> these teams who think they're going to win it we're going to tell you why they're not going to win it um, so that'll be a lot of fun but before we wrap up uh dylan uh, let everybody know where they can find uh, all of our good stuff there
1: oh yeah so if you want to follow ClutchPoints.com, our handle on instagram's at ClutchPoints, on twitter at clutch Points app be covering tons of news as we already have gonna uh, bring some more fantasy football content uh, in terms of articles with rankings for positions and sleepers and all that good stuff coming over the next two weeks so stay tuned there um should be exciting time excited for the season to get going and if, uh, if you don't have the clutch points app i also work uh, with john who i mentioned last week on the podcast i work with him on some of the things in terms of the content and our streams for the game so if you don't already have it check it out uh, tons of videos tons of ways to interact and i uh, just can't wait for the regular season to get here
0: Yep, lots of ways to find us. We'll have our social media, Twitter handles uh, in the uh, episode notes. You'll be able to find this, find them there to uh, follow us on Twitter, all the other places to get ready for the start of the season. Uh, a lot of fun, a lot of great stuff on the way here on the podcast, so be sure to subscribe, like we mentioned earlier. SoundCloud, Spotify, soon to be on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Uh, Be sure to subscribe on there. Show me the great stuff uh, that we do have all the way. And uh, we will uh, have a lot of fun with this with the fantasy special uh, here on the next episode of the Established the Past podcast.